This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Before we start, just a quick reminder, please make sure you're subscribed to our show wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. All right, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. And this is an emergency edition of our Powerhouse Politics podcast. We usually come to you later in the week, but Rick, too much happening. We felt a need to get to our listeners on three major storylines converging right now. Of course, we have the... Wait, upcoming- first, John, are you calm? You, uh, I, I want to make sure you're calm before we say calm down. I, a little I'm bit. trying. Okay, I'm trying. Hunter Walker, our, our, our friend at Yahoo, showed me a, a sign they had made. You know that. You know the uh, the uh, keep calm and carry on. Yeah, they've, yeah. they've redone it to keep calm, John Carl. So, oh, good. Uh, okay, good. Just making sure. I'm um, trying to keep calm. White House. Um, but but th- three major storylines really. First of all, we have the upcoming vote on health care. Uh, really can't overstate the importance of this to uh, to the Trump agenda and his first real legislative test. Obviously. We have uh, the Russia investigation and the bombshell that we uh, that we heard on Monday from James Comey that he is investigating possible links between the Trump campaign and the Russians. And then, of course, uh, what normally would be the lead story everywhere, uh, the confirmation hearing for uh, just for, for what would be Justice uh, Neil Gorsuch. And the, the interesting thing to me is how these stories are sometimes related and sometimes not related at all. So you have these bombshells that you mentioned. The, the director of the FBI saying no evidence to the Trump tweets. In addition to that, you have this amazing statement that the, the Trump administration or the, the, the sorry the Trump campaign under investigation. Uh, and then separate than that, you're asking you've got members of Congress that are being told basically trust us. Uh, trust our word in the in the Trump White House on the health care bill because it can't be the last word. There, so you're saying credibility is a credibility. Possible, uh, credibility is a is is a string that you have to carry forward right there. And one question mm-hmm. is, are they going to make good on all of these things? And then you have Gorsuch, which to me is almost happening in an alternate Washington reality. It is so normal, and he is so nice, and the members of Congress are playing it just like they always play these these confirmation hearings that we've seen for so many years. It seems to not be happening in Trump's Washington, which I guess is a good thing for the White House, because it seems like that is on track. So you have all of this chaos swirling, and then the thing that you traditionally think would be a big showdown, major battle lines, all the money being spent, and all of the, the, the pressure being brought to bear, that has been quiet. And uh, and it's in everything else is what's swirling around. By the way, we have a really special guest on this emergency edition of the Powerhouse Politics podcast. Somebody who can actually talk to us about all three of these things, but somebody who has been immersed in the Gorsuch confirmation hearings now entering now in day two. Uh, a, a a a friend of the podcast. A we we know a loyal listener of the podcast. Frequent contributor to the podcast. A big fan of yours, uh, Rick Klein, I know. That's not true. Um, uh, And somebody that we certainly admire. Uh, Terry Moran, ABC's uh, chief guru, foreign correspondent, uh, Supreme Court guy, former White House uh, correspondent. I mean, I I don't know. What else can we say about the guy? 
good friend of the podcast is 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 good because the rest of you are laying on a little thick here. But uh, but I'm glad I'm glad to be here. It's a, this is you know, this is among the the my, the hats I wear. The Supreme Court thing. I discover yeah, like how much I love it every time I come back to it. This this day and a half of Gorsuch has been to me because I'm a geek for this stuff. Fascinating to watch. It's been it's been good stuff. So, uh, Justice Moran, we want to get to you on that. But before we, we dive into the, the Gorsuch training, I, I want to get to uh, the, the, uh, the FBI investigation into the, the, the links, uh, possible links between the Trump campaign and Russia. And specifically, as somebody who spends most of his time these days for us in London, um, we had a, a, an amazing moment in the, in the hearing uh, with, uh, with, with Rogers and Comey on this issue of what the White House said about possible links between British intelligence uh, and the alleged wiretapping of Trump Tower. Um, You saw Admiral Rogers quite angrily, at least I interpreted it as being quite angry, in saying that that he agreed uh, that uh, that, that Sean Spicer reading this allegation that basically the Brits did the dirty work for for Obama uh, as being outrageous. Uh, what 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 has been the impact? Clearly, they're worried that this is actually potentially hurting our relationship with the Brits. It it has damaged uh, that closest alliance in the world, even closer than than Canada or Israel. The alliance with uh, the United Kingdom, with Great Britain, has is really one of the linchpins of American policy for 70 years and more and they and they're bewildered and furious and even more than that. They are now, I would say, joining at this point. Look, it's early days still in the Trump administration, but the feeling one gets listening to British officials, uh, officials from Germany and other European allies is, you know what, this is a very different United States. We have to kind of go our own way on some of these things. We've got to figure out how we're going to accomplish our security interests, certainly our trade interests, regional interests in the Middle East and elsewhere without the leadership of the United States, because we we don't know what he's trying to do. We don't entirely agree with it on many things, and we don't even really trust that White House. It, 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 this is more than just a tiff. It's more than just they got really angry at this uh, sloppy, baseless insult that Sean Spicer threw out at, 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 you know, at a press briefing that apparently can be traced back to literally a Kremlin-backed fake news website. So, you know, that, that's just perfect. But it's actually now feeding into what is becoming a considered uh, policy direction that, that Europe is beginning to take, which is a sense that U.S. leadership is not part of, uh, not the primary part of our foreign policy in these areas. And, um, and that's, that could have long-term significance. And just to recap exactly what happened, Sean Spicer went on that last Thursday, went on that eight-minute long diatribe or, you know, monologue where he read from all the various news reports, commentary, anything that mentioned anything about surveillance of, 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 of the Trump Tower or of Trump Associates. And one of the things he read was Judge Andrew Napolitano, a Fox News legal analyst, uh, saying that, uh, that that it was the Brits that did it on behalf of of Barack Obama, uh, and then we heard the president standing next to uh, Angela Merkel say, "Look, that was just a Fox News report. Ask Fox." And 
it was an amazing thing because less than an hour after he said that, you saw Shep Smith go on Fox News and say, no. Fox we, answered. We, we, we have zero <laughs> evidence that that happened. That was, you know, basically that was one guy that went rogue. Uh, Fox News has, has no information that that happened. And then we had, and this is what I want to ask you about, Terry, um, we, we had the reports that the White House called the British ambassador to apologize and to promise that the allegation would not be repeated. But almost immediately after those reports came out, the White House said there was no apology. So can you try to – can you interpret what happened? I mean the, 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 the British seem to think that they got an apology. They did, in fact. That morning I was in London. I've flown here for the hearings. And uh, reporters were told off camera uh, by Downing Street that uh, the United States, that Spicer and General McMaster, the national security advisor, had apologized and promised that this wouldn't happen again because the British intelligence services were livid, absolutely livid. It made them look like uh, piratical, lawless, you know, criminals rummaging through Americans' uh, election and personal uh, information when they do not do that, period, full stop. And, uh, and there are very severe and, and significant barriers erected against that uh, as part of really one of the keystones of American global intelligence, the Five Eyes uh, Agreement among the, the, the America's closest allies in sharing intelligence. Part of that agreement includes how we don't cooperate. And uh, GCHQ, the British Intelligence Service, was just livid that this allegation, which was completely errant nonsense, they called it in very British terms, uh, that it would damage their credibility that they don't do stuff like that. Uh, And so they were very, very angry. And so they were proudly, uh, you know, and happily called up reporters and brought reporters in and told them, now there's been an apology, won't do it again. And then because for whatever reason, this White House, from the president right on down, has this fetish about not apologizing, Within an hour, we were hearing again from Downing Street about the same matter. They were telling us that, uh, you know, GCHQ and the intelligence services were denying it. And then they wouldn't say the word apology. And they're like, well, was there an apology or not? And they, say, they just, you know, GCHQ is denying that this happened. We are now all squared away and we will move forward. I said, well, did they apologize or not? And they literally just had to drop that aspect from their brief because real men don't apologize or something. And by the way, just a footnote on that. Every real man I've ever met, including the man who taught me how to be a man, and, and most of it, right, your father teaches you how to be a man. What, what, what does your dad tell you as a, as a young man? He says, if you don't have the facts to back up what you say, don't say it. And if you make a mistake, apologize. That's real manhood, I think, to most people. But for some reason, this White House won't ever apologize, and you ended up in this bizarre morning, which was worse than just an inconvenience. It was another level of humiliation on our closest ally in the world. So you can imagine how how does that impact cooperation on anti-terror efforts, on the efforts against Russia, which already they don't really trust this administration on. Because Russia is is not just meddling in American elections. Obviously, they've been meddling in Europe for about 500 years. (laughs) And Terry, uh, yeah. <laughs> Terry, of course, this isn't the only area where the president didn't apologize this week. You had the, the director of the FBI saying no evidence behind the tweets. John pushed Sean Spicer on it. And no, they're not ready to concede on that. And that brings me, Terry, I mean, you mentioned flying all the way over here. But actually, ABC News flew you over here and then deposited you in this time machine. 
of a Supreme Court hearing. <laughs> and you went back to another time where things were pretty predictable, at least to my mind. It seems like you guys are in a bubble in, the, in that hearing room right now, and you've been there for, for so much of it. Has the, the this tense atmosphere where you have the director of the FBI saying the president lied, you have the director of the FBI confirming an investigation, you have this scramble, uh, a lobbying push by the president on his first and, and biggest legislative priority, the arm twisting going on. Does any of that spill over into that hearing room with Judge Gorsuch? It does. And I like the, the description of this as being a kind of a time machine bubble. It's, it's kind of nice. It is, it is. We're listening to senators question earnestly, you know, from their conservative or liberal or partisan backgrounds, but with earnestness about constitutional issues and stuff like that. And, and that has been very, very gratifying. But what you're talking about is the weather around us, and it has blown into this hearing room a couple of times. Once the mood when, music is the as Mike Allen would the say, the mood right? music exactly. It's definitely in there. For one thing, sometimes quite sharply, Judge Gorsuch, the nominee, is directly questioned about. Uh, the the FBI investigation uh, into the alleged the potential links between the Trump campaign and Russia, and and so in that way it comes in. But in other ways, one line of questioning that Democrats and Republicans have pursued is how independent uh, can you tell us? Can you guarantee that you will be independent of this president who has nominated you? Can you stand up to a president who may, as Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat of Connecticut, put it yesterday? You know, be involved in a criminal investigation that may get to the Supreme Court, as the Nixon investigation did. So sometimes the 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 crazy events and the and the in some ways desperate urgency of events outside the, the, those other things that you're talking about outside this hearing room seep in. But I am happy to report that most of these long hours in here are spent on sometimes difficult, but, but often quite meaningful constitutional and statutory and personal discussions, just like, boy, I've been covering these things. I, I had said the, the second week I was on my first newspaper job, <laughs> I covered the Bork nomination. So I, I think I'm going to at some point have covered the nominations of every single one of the Supreme Court. I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> and it, it feels like... And not the Bork one or the Thomas one, but it feels like a normal Supreme Court nomination. You heard Marbury versus Madison <laughs> and Roe yeah. v. Wade and oh, even Chevron. We remember those things. So well, it, it, let's talk about Judge Gorsuch because to, to my mind, you used the word earnest in the questioning. The word that springs to my mind about Judge Gorsuch is earnest. I also think he's coming across, to my mind, my ob observation, want yours on this, compassionate, human, humorous mm. at times. He's joking around with some of these senators. Yes, there's been tense moments, but how is he handling this rather extraordinary moment in Washington? Well, we see he's handling it very well, and I think it would take a remarkable effort uh, by Democrats or something very surprising coming out to generate enough public opinion to to block his nomination. He's on his way, it seems to me, just after you know a day and a half of this. Now, that, that could change. But we've seen two Judge Gorsuches. One is the one that, that you're describing, this, this calmly poised, confident person who is unafraid to share his heart uh, in talking about his family, but also in talking about the law, how much he loves what he does and reveres certain mentors in the law. Uh, and and how much he cares for the for the plaintiffs that come before him even, and and that is is winning because it does seem quite um, humane, humane and and good. The other uh, pro the other issue though that's come out is he's under 
questioning for the first time, half an hour at a time, 30 minutes at a time. Uh, by Democrat, then Republican, then Democrat, de- Republican, Democrat. So under the Democrats, he's got a face for 30 minutes. Sometimes, you know, none of it has been uh, mean-spirited, but tough questioning, certainly by Senator Durbin of Illinois. And then you get a sense, this is not a man who's used to being challenged. He gets a little testy. He gets a, It seems like he's a guy who, who, you know, does not suffer fools lightly, and, uh, and, I, and it's come out in ways that are probably not that great for him with senators, although he's never going to have really any kind of anything to do with them again if he gets confirmed. But it's interesting to see that, uh, that and maybe every nominee at some point in this process just got, wants to stand up and Jack Nicholson them all. You know, you can't <laughs> handle the truth. But... Uh, but I think we've seen a, a side where he's a little less uh, patient and a little and a little testy, you know, almost a little conceited. I think uh, has come out, and you know, he's a guy who's had amazing success his whole life. He's entitled to it, but as a judge, that's the one thing where I, I'm thinking one of those Democrats is, is thinking I can I can get him to snap maybe. So how is he handling the the, the big question about how he would face? Trump, and if, if if something comes before him, whether it's something related to a, a, a criminal case or something uh, related to the uh, to, to the use of executive power, uh, how convincing is he in saying? I know the the line he used was "There no man is above the law." Is is it is it is it convincing? It, it is convincing, and probably because he has no, he he's not close to Trump at all. He doesn't know him at all. I met him once in the interview, and that's it. And uh, and so I don't think he's got any specific loyalty to Trump. However, as far as executive power is concerned, you know, he was a lawyer in the Bush administration, the George W. Bush administration. He helped craft some of the positions around the whole Guantanamo issue, the the maximal exercise of presidential authority that that administration was trying to uh, trying to affect down in Guantanamo. You know, we grab these people around the world, we put them in cages in this place that's not in the United States, and we are saying no, no court can review us over there. And, and, and once the court said, well, yes, we can, well, okay, they, they don't need any kind of habeas corpus. Uh, they don't really need full legal rights. And the court came back and said, yes, they do. So at, in that conflict, he took the president's side. Uh, that was what he was paid to do. So it's probable that, that he has a healthy sense of presidential authority, and that will be important. When the immigration ban comes before the court, he might be on it, and it will. The, the, the travel ban is likely to come before the court. Uh, and then he'll, we'll see, I don't think it'll be personal to Trump. I don't think he, he has personal loyalty to Trump, but I think he's likely to be along with uh, Chief Justice Roberts and uh, Justice Alito and some of the others, very strong for uh, executive authority, for the power of the presidency. And, Terry, I want to get back in the room real quick, but uh, your take on how the Democrats are handling it, because it seems to me like they don't have a, a, a settled strategy. So the question is, is Gorsuch that good that he's overcoming it, or are the other stories that good for the Democrats, they just rather focus somewhere else? I've been quite surprised, Rick, that, that they haven't had any kind of strategy, even if they aren't going to go to the mat on this one. And they may not want to, because, you know, you could get somebody far worse. Uh, well, Lindsey Graham said he didn't, think, he didn't think Trump would pick a good nominee. Uh, he wasn't a Trump fan. Or because they're saving their, their real opposition for the next vacancy, which would perhaps be if Justice Kennedy retires, and then that, that would really be a war for the court, and the Democrats would go all out on that. But you'd think they'd have some kind of game plan here. 
at least to establish, say, that the seat is stolen, right? The whole stolen seat argument that the Democratic base is very engaged with. This, the, that Merrick Garland, President Obama's nominee to fill this seat, you know, didn't even get a hearing. Uh, you know, people would think that that, that that may, we've heard it, we've heard it mentioned, but not in any not in any uh, consistent or even very effective way, I would say. Uh, a couple of moments, but not much. And then it's been scattershot otherwise. Oh, you're a friend of corporations instead of working men and women. Oh, you know, do you really believe in individual rights? And, and so I've been surprised at that, and I think it's a missed opportunity to put some markers down, both for this nominee. One of the things that these hearings do, it's a conversation between the person who's going to be on the court and the Congress, and the only, first and only conversation they're going to have. And, and so these, these senators get a chance to care about this when you get to the court. But they aren't even doing that. It, I, I, it has been feckless, I would say. It's been some good questioning. Uh, some of the senators seem quite prepared. I said Durbin did quite well, but I've just been surprised there's no game plan. Uh, he's going to likely get through, and I don't see that they set the table for any, any future action. So, uh, Terry, we'll let you get back in there, but uh, one very quick answer, uh, if you don't mind. We'll put you on the spot. How many votes does he get mm. for his confirmation? Well, you know, yeah, after yesterday with the lovely statement he made, so poised and polished and well-written, I, I said, you know, this, he can probably get to 60. You know, there's, but now I kind of look at him today, and, and they're doing enough dinging and dinging, and the Democrats are so hopping mad about this. I, I'm going to say he's going to get 56, 57 votes, but they won't filibuster. Okay, there you go. Terry Moran. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll let you get back. I see it looks like Ted Cruz is, is questioning him now, so we'll let you... We'll see what Justice Cruz has to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is a tough one. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. All right. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, so, guys. So, Rick, the, the only thing we have to talk about before we draw this uh, emergency podcast to a close is the health care vote, which we've been tracking very uh, carefully. Obviously, the big test. I've been more bullish that the White House would succeed. You've been more bearish yeah. on their chances. Uh, where are you now whether or not it passes in the House on Thursday? I'm 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 sticking with failure. Either they delay it or they actually lose a vote. I think more likely a delay, and we're talking about it next week. I mean, the prospect of actually losing on the floor is is unlikely ultimately. But you can pull, you can delay, you can find excuses for it. And partly because I'm all in on this bet, but uh, yeah. but I think more more importantly, you, you have a true ideological standoff right now. And you have some of the highest profile outside groups like Heritage, like Club for Growth, saying this is a no. And you have this pretty overt threat from the president of the United States. Uh, maybe yeah, I, maybe I, deliver I, with a smile, maybe not. Yeah, I, I asked Spicer directly. Yeah. Uh, will those who vote against this be held responsible by the president? Will they pay a price? And the answer? His answer was yes. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he left it, you know, whether or not the president himself is the one uh, exacting that price, but they will pay a price, he said, because they promised to do this and, and their constituents will hold them accountable. And behind we'll closed see. doors as well, Mark Meadows, hey, I'm coming for you. A little yes. bit of a smile there, but, but obviously they know that this, this has some teeth. Now, the Freedom, the Freedom Caucus has said they're not going to make this an official position, so they're freeing up their members. But man, there's a lot of skepticism. And this is the, this is the test of Trump's poll right here. He's, Trump is very popular in, in a lot of these members districts, very popular with the base of Republicans, but not popular nationally. Do they buck him on this, hoping to either get a different deal, a better deal? Uh, if, if not, the flip side is the Trump-Ryan team of rivals that the two of them represent, uniting the different wings of the party, that is a formidable presence. And on one level, winning in the House, so what? That's easy. On another level, they, know, they were counted out on this one a long time ago. It would be quite an achievement for them to turn it around. 
Yeah, even though they passed them forty times, uh, various. It's forms different of, when it's uh, real. It's totally. But that's, that's exactly it. It's it's different when you're actually talking about legislation that impacts people's lives. It was it was passed in this hypothetical fantasy land. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? President Obama wasn't going to sign it. It's real now, and they've they've pushed this. And if they're able to get it done, it would be a remarkable legislative achievement. I'm still betting on no. Okay, so I, I you're wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I, I I think it's interesting that the White House has put this. In such stark terms, uh, explicitly today, uh, Spicer was saying that this impacts all the rest of the agenda that they want to yeah. do this year. It's like they lead so, to entice people. Like, if you yes. want to do tax reform, right? Is yeah, you, if, 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 you know, you got to do this if you want to get through to your budget stuff. You want to get through the tax reform if you want to get through to yeah. infrastructure. All the things that they want to do, they've got to have their first victory. They've, this should be the relatively easy one. It's the one they all campaigned on. Uh, but uh, no, I agree it's going to be a very tough vote. I think that because they have defined the stakes so starkly, because the president is so vested in this, they will get it passed in the House on Thursday. And but I will, also, I will also tell you this, that, that, that you talk to, to the White House, and I don't think that they have any idea how they will get victory in the Senate on this. Mm-hmm. I think that they are entirely focused on getting this through uh, the, the House – and I think that it's going to be a battle royale. What they are counting on is that the calculus suddenly changes. For those senators like Tom Cotton, who came out again today, yeah. uh, Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, uh, Rob Portman, you've got a lot more senators than they can afford to lose that have said that they are uncomfortable with this bill, that they are not in favor of it in its current form. What the White House is calculating on calculating is that those senators – are trying to change it in the House. They are trying to affect the outcome in the House. If it passes the House, then you have a real choice to, in, in the Senate. These Republicans either have to support doing this, what many of them see as a half measure, or doing nothing, which would be leaving Obamacare in place. And and again, it come back to where we started with the linkage between these major storylines. One observation I was struck by in the, the hearings with Comey on Monday the president of the United States has a lot of defenders still, and there's a lot of Republican members of Congress that went out of their way during a very rough day for the White House to put on the record the White House preferred version of events, make that investigation about leaks and not about the president's unfounded accusations and not about Russian connections. And that's the kind of party loyalty that, that the president of the United States is now drawing on. Party in loyalty to get on an issue through. where he doesn't like deserve party loyalty. I mean, this is like I mean, he made these right. these allegations that none of them think are true, but they've played along with the idea of diverting away from it. And and so and, in that context, him. in that context, healthcare should be easy. Yes. That, that's the least that you could get done because they all campaigned on repealing and replacing Obama. Which is why, which is why you're wrong on on your prediction that it will fail in the all House. Right. But we'll, but we'll talk. Uh, we'll we'll be back with our regularly scheduled podcast. Uh, why don't we make a, a deal that we will do it after the vote? After the now, vote, deal. Now, now if you're right and the vote doesn't happen, maybe maybe we'll <laughs> maybe never just, maybe <laughs> we'll never be another podcast. <laughs> maybe uh, not, John. I, somehow I think you'll forget whatever prediction yes, you made, depending yes, on the yes, on the circumstance. Uh, anyway, okay. Anyway, that is it for this emergency edition of the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. David Ryan, our uh, executive, he's executive producer now, right? Isn't he? Did let's we, give uh, him. Let's give him. Yeah, yeah, executive producer. Uh, uh, we, we we thank him and we thank Terry Moran for uh, for joining us. Well. As well, uh, Avery Miller off on vacation, but still supporting the podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening. Arlette, Arlette, everybody. We'll see you next week.